Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico. Got a great show, you, uh, show for you tonight, uh, a slight change in, in, the, uh, in the plan for this evening, and I'll explain it in just a moment. I'm uh, going to be joined here in just a, a moment or two uh, by my very special guest, uh, Clint Wright, who, of course, has uh, been on many, many times, uh, particularly on the Coach's Corner panel. Not going to have a Coach's Corner panel tonight, and I'll explain that in just a moment, but I want to thank you guys for joining me uh, live uh, this Thursday uh, on Golf Talk Live, uh, June 8th, uh, 2017. Uh, as I said, I've got a great show for you. Uh, for those of you that uh, are tuned in and you know how to get, me, uh, get to the show, but for those of you that uh, want to relay that information, uh, go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live is the link. And if you go there during the live broadcast, which is from 6 uh, to 8 p.m. Central or 7 to 9 uh, Eastern, for those of you on Eastern Standard Time, uh, you can go to that link and you'll see that the live broadcast will be front and center. Uh, for those of you that can't join us live, not to worry, just go to that link, uh, www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live, or just type golf talk live up in the search key, and that will take you to the same page. And just scroll down uh, anytime after the show has been aired, and you'll see the on demand section, and you can pick up uh, whatever show that uh, you may have missed uh, previously. So they're all there uh, in the on demand section. Uh, also, you can uh, catch us on iTunes or Stitcher.com. Uh, go to either uh, iTunes.com or Stitcher.com, and again, type in uh, under the podcast section, type in Golf Talk Live, and that will take you to the, the uh, appropriate pages there. And you can also listen for those of you that like to use those uh, platforms. Um, as I said, got a great show tonight. We would love to hear from you. Uh, my good friend Clint and I are going to be uh, having a, a great conversation tonight. And if you want to join in the conversation or if you've got questions uh, for either one of us, uh, please feel free to call in. The number is area code 646-716-4667. Or you can email me personally at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you. Um, So let me explain a little bit before I bring – actually, let me bring Clint on, and then I'll explain what I did. Um, Clint, as I I said, is my very special guest. Uh, He's a 30-year member of the PGA, uh, also a partner at TGM Golf, and a big proponent of the R3 approach. Uh, as he's discussed many times on the show before, and one of the best, in my opinion, covering the short game today, and we're going to talk a lot about that tonight, and, and uh, he's fast become one of my favorite guests and panelists here on the Coach's Corner panel, which we're not having tonight. He's actually my special guest tonight, but uh, please uh, welcome my very special guest, Clint Wright. Welcome, Clint. Glad to be here, Ted. Thanks. <laughs> All right, let me, let me explain now that I got you on. I was, I was sort of half explaining that we okay. had to go live. Bas- basically, what happened was this. Uh, for those of you tuning into the broadcast tonight, uh, I actually did have a Coach's Corner panel scheduled for tonight. Uh, unfortunately, when I looked at the schedule, and this, we were talking about glasses and eyesight and stuff off air, and uh, I was looking at the wrong date, and I didn't have a panel scheduled for the particular date. Uh, I did have one tonight, and unfortunately, I looked at the wrong date. 
which happened to be the date I didn't have a panel, uh, so I didn't send out any reminders. So none of the folks that were supposed to be scheduled for the first half of the show um, were <clears throat> notified. So I sent a, a very humbling email last evening and just notified everybody, by the way, uh, no Coach's Corner panel uh, for tonight's show. But not to worry. Uh, my, as I said, my good friend Clint's here, so we're gonna we're gonna keep you busy here for the for the next hour and and um, and let you listen to some great uh, great instruction. So so Clint, you've been on the show many many times, uh, and yeah. I always feel one of the reasons I, I really enjoy having you on here is um, not just because you've you've got a good personality, but um, you you know what you're talking about, and you know you get right to the the meat and potatoes of of what needs to be done. And there's no sugarcoating it. I like that. I like the direct approach that you uh, quite often share. So um, having said that, we're going to talk about a few things. But let's, talk, let's start first off why we play. So why don't you uh, lead okay. us off here, and, and then I'll chime in a little bit as well. Sure. You know, I have um, sent you a thing the other day. I, I, I did this many, many years ago about why do we play golf. And it's, it, it's really kind of a, a subtle thing, but – one of the reasons we play is I truly believe it's a place that we can challenge ourselves to improve, to do better, challenge ourselves over the environment. Can we go out and play when it's raining? Can we, can we really do it? It's a place we can challenge ourselves for the goals and success of whatever level we want to put on it. With one key ingredient, there's really no consequences to failure. Right. Okay. You start, you start every round at zero, and you finish the 18th hole or the ninth hole, and guess what your score is tomorrow? It's still zero. It's a, an opportunity. You can go out and do that challenge. You can try to, you know, one bad shot's not going to hurt the next one. It's, it's kind of a testing ground for can you really improve yourself at this sport. And the nice thing about it is, is that there's, you know, there's no consequences for the failure. There's great, there's great pride and success, but there's, there's, there's nothing there that you can be disappointed, but there's no really true life-threatening type of consequences for you having a bad day. Right. And, you know, I, right. I, I, I agree. I, I think the commercial, I can't remember what it's for now, where the four guys are coming off the golf course and one guy's just ranting and raving about how bad it was. They all get in the car mm-hmm. and say, same time tomorrow. Everybody says, yeah. You know, they're all going to quit. <laughs> same time tomorrow. And uh, so that's that's part of it right, right there. Same time tomorrow. Yeah, and, and you're exactly right. And one of the things that, that I like about golf, and for those that have played golf for a little while or have followed golf for a little while, we'll see a lot of parallels to what I'm going to talk about here in a second. But, but guy, uh, golf – does parallel life and if you think about it you know in in life we have various challenges and and obstacles that we have to overcome in life Um, whatever they may be they're they're different for everybody there's certain some similarities but um, they can be different for for everybody some can might have financial challenges some might have some physical challenges but there's challenges that we have to overcome in life and you can either sort of sit in the chair and not do anything or you can live your life in and you know, over, overcome some of the hurdles you might be faced with. And golf's very similar to that in the sense that when you get out on the golf course, there's many different challenges that you're going to be faced with. And how you handle and react to those challenges 
uh, is going to dictate how well you're going to play. Now, there's certain elements that can come in that can affect uh, how you may have to handle those circumstances. We're going to talk about a few of them tonight. But essentially, they're very, there's a lot of similarities to what happens out in the golf course and what happens in life. The difference in life, obviously, there, there can be some final consequences. We, we all uh, you know, come to our final resting place. Um, but as you said, Clint, you know, golf, there, there really is no um, downside to it. It's, an op- it's a learning opportunity, much like life. And, um, yeah. and that's really Correct. what makes it exciting is, is there's challenges out there, and, it, and it's fun. I mean, there's really no other sport that I can think of that poses the same types of challenges um, that golf does. Uh, I, I could be wrong, but w- what do you think, Clint? No, I think you're absolutely correct. And, and you know, one of the things that we, we find where we improve is that we've all heard about the driving range pro, right, can just hit every shot great on the range. They show improvement there. They're really excited about going out to play today, and they go out and have a terrible round. And they, it, you've heard this question, why can't I get my driving range swing onto the first tee? And that's a, a huge emotional challenge that we either can continue to fight or and overcome. And sometimes it's good one day, sometimes it's not so good. But here's how I would answer that question. I always answer it with a question. Where is the game of golf played? What, what played does it on the take? Golf course. Yeah, but what is a golf course? What is well, it? Well, golf course in is, relationship is, to the is, game. It's, it's it's the same as a. What now? It's where the game is played. It's no different it's than a baseball or a football field. It's it's right. simply the playing, playing field. field. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, and if you don't tee the ball up and hit it, just like if the pitcher doesn't throw the ball, or the center doesn't snap the ball, the game itself doesn't exist. Right. They're simply a playing field. So we have all heard it. Is is so I want to take my game to the course. Okay? So you have to go to that first tee trying to get your game there. So the, the amount of space you need to play or make your the game created from is the ground you're standing on. <clears throat> and that's where some of the third shot ideas that we want to talk about a little bit more tonight is coming from is that simple idea that the golf course itself is simply the playing field and you have to put your game out there on the playing field. It's just like the pitcher goes to the mound. He's putting his pitch and his game on the mound. And he starts the game by throwing the ball. And then everybody on that field reacts to that. We as golfers create everything. We have to react to what we've done. Okay, we react at it with our game, <clears throat> and so therefore the playing field is simply where the ball lands, and we re- and we re- uh, have to react based on the results that we created. That's part of the the excitement of the game. We can't blame anybody else. You know, the pitcher yeah. that doesn't throw a no we hitter try- could blame the shortstop for an error. Right. But we create our own results, and so therefore we have to react to those results. So yeah, and, and you know, even 
Right, and e- even in a situation where you have a Riders' Cup or the Presidents' Cup, where it, it, you've got a team there that you're playing with, essentially you're still an individual out there. So, you know, obviously points you're matter. And, every and one of those players different. on the Ryder Cup team is creating right. their own game. Yep. Like if you and I went out and played nine holes, we both are creating our own game of golf. We're not relying on the other to help us do anything. We create it ourselves, totally. Now, the score that we have at the end of the day may be lumped together as a team score. Or whether I beat you three up or two down or you did the same to me, we add that to a team total. But no other player is helping me create my game or the results of my swing. Does that make sense? Right. It, yeah, exactly. And and just to to go back to your point there about t- you know moving from the the range to to the golf course. I think what a lot of people don't understand and and can't seem to formulate in their mind is on the on the practice tee or the driving range there's no pressure. There's no uh, you know people when they get out into the golf course suddenly develop a, a performance anxiety. Um and you know, now, now I've got to perform. What, what happens is what I do from this point on counts. Whereas on the driving range, if I hit a bad shot, well, it's okay. I'll just put another one up and, and hit another one. There, there's, no, um, there's no consequence out in the so, so, therefore, we allow the playing field to intimidate us. Right. And I think a lot of people do. I think that's but why it, Oh, so absolutely. I agree with you. But it's simply the playing field. I don't think right. that I don't think a baseball player allows the diamond to intimidate them, nor the football player of the football field intimidate them. They still have the same pressures and the same things based on results. If they play poorly or pitch poorly, they lose the game. See, right. we have to, as golfers, and I think this is where you find the the difference between the top echelon players and what we might want to call the wannabes. Okay, is that that top echelon player does not attach to the results to the course or the playing field. They attach their results to their golf swing, to their game. Mm-hmm. And they have to choose what shot they have practiced in order to be successful on that particular course. I think that's why you see over the years some players – have always played the same tournaments well because their game is suited more towards that playing field. That's the single difference in golf versus baseball, primarily football, but baseball has some different dimensions in the field. But golf is played on, if you get down to it, this is another thing that that intimidates us, is golf is the the game that we play today, is played on the largest playing field with the smallest target of any game ever played. Right. We play on acres. We play to inches. No other sport does that. It's all confined. Right. Courts, football, stadium, right. baseball. And, and, they're all in a confined area, but golf is different. Largest playing field, smallest target. Yeah, and, and, and the targets change. I mean – 
you know, on, on, in golf in the sense that, or the field changes, not the target so much, but the field itself changes from hole Correct. to hole. And I think that stymies a lot of people as well. You know, one of the, one of the things, l- let me just sort of jump a little bit ahead here. Um, I think one of the, the key issues, and, and I've talked about this before on not only in this show, and, and I know we have before, but confidence is really what difference, uh, differentiates the professional players from the amateurs. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, okay. You know, somebody that, that's playing week, week in and week out on the PGA or LPGA tour or whatever tour you want to throw out there, mm-hmm. they have a certain level of confidence because they know – what their game is. Now they might hit a bad shot here and there, but they, they know and can rely on the, the game that they're bringing to the golf course that day. They know what to right. expect more often than not. The amateur player, because they're inconsistent and haven't grooved the, the fundamentals the, to the level that the professional has, they lack that confidence. So they're not sure of themselves. They get out on the golf course and they get stymied that, you know, suddenly you, you've got, uh, an elevated green or you've got an elevated tee and it changes the playing field. Their eye mm-hmm. doesn't fit that particular hole. So they get stymied. Whereas a professional, even if it's a hole that they don't really like Nicholas, I'll give you a good example. Nicholas always right. favored a left to right hole. Um, right. He always said, you know, he, he played to par on a right to left hole because right. playing a draw was not his strong suit. So Correct. going to what you what you talked about earlier, he played to his strengths and he, basically did the best that he could on holes that he couldn't master, if you will, uh, for lack let of better me, words. So let me put something in here. I'm going to agree with everything you said, but the, but I don't agree with your title for what you said. It's not confident. <laughs> <laughs> it's All trust. Right, well, well, sure. They trust their game. Yeah. You're- See, in my opinion, the word confidence fits in the golf by they are confident that they made the right decision on where to aim it, what club to use. But at that particular moment in time, they have to have trust and faith in their ability to play the shot well right then. Yep. Okay? That's where you you're right. see you're right. confidence is not emotional. Trust and faith become emotional. And whenever a player gets under pressure, which is an emotional issue, they lack the trust, and therefore it breaks down. Okay, and they—they're they, confident. They've got yardages. They know the club. They've got and and you hear people talk about, hey, they got to be committed. Got to be committed to the shot. In my mind, they're confident that what they have decided to do, they can do. They have done it before. They've done it on the range. They've done it on other golf courses when nobody was looking. But now we're at the 18th hole of the U.S. Open. Now, are they going to trust no. themselves to play the proper shot right then? That's the difference between the top echelon and the the amateur. The amateur doesn't yeah, and, have – go, go ahead. They don't have the confidence right. in their decisions, and therefore they can't – you can't have trust until you have confidence that you've made the right choices. Right. Okay? So uh, it's, it's a semantic thing, but in my mind – I want to trust myself to play the shot right this minute. I know I've played it last week, and I'm probably going to be able to hit it two weeks from now, but right now is the point that I need to trust myself right now. And you hear, if you you pick up on it on the tour, 
you hear the caddies, they have their their little mantra saying that says, okay, you know, hey, pick out your spot, be confident, let's let's hit it. You know, uh, they yeah. all have those little phrases they've worked out to remind the player, you got this. See, when they say you got this, that's trust. You can do this. You've done it before. This is that's a trust statement. And I think if we get you know, people thinking more in those lines, I think they can maybe have a clearer understanding of what I'm actually trying to do. Because one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do as a teacher is to explain to somebody what confidence was or what trust is. Yeah, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, and I the mean, other thing too a, is. Go ahead. Yeah, the other thing that I want to just bring in there, uh, on Tuesday's show with uh, with Cindy Miller and I, of course, uh, uh, LPJ professional Cindy Miller is uh, my co-host on the Women of Golf show Tuesday mornings. Mm-hmm. And we were talking this past week uh, at the beginning of the show uh, about uh, a tournament that she played in last week. And it was, of course, uh, a former NFL player Jim Kelly uh, has a, his own tournament, uh, which he mm-hmm. does for charity and that. And, of course, he played with, you know, it's a, it's a, a group format. And, you know, she talked about some of the – one of the people in her group was was an accountant. And, of course, he's by-the-numbers guy. And, mm-hmm. you know, he wanted to know, well, you know, where we were at, what, what we needed to shoot uh, on this hole and that. And she raised a very interesting point. And this is something else, too, that I think differentiates the pros from the amateurs. More often than not, the better player – does not sit and focus and dwell on the score. Now, they're conscious of what their score is, um, but they're not looking at the scoreboard all the time. They're not looking who's who's leading the tournament. There may be key times when they may go to that uh, frame, but more often than not, they're focusing on shot by shot, and at the end of the day, if their score is good enough to win, great. If it's not, then they go and work on what they need to work on. The problem with most amateurs is, you know, they get out there, maybe they've got a couple of birdies going, they think they've got a good round going, and they start adding up their score and saying, okay, boy, I've got, I, I can break 80 or I can break 90, whatever their target is. And they get, so, they get so caught up in that number that all of a sudden they have a bad hole. Well, I'm not going to break 90 now, or I'm not going to break 100, whatever it is. And the wheels come off the bus, so to speak. That's an issue that a lot of players, uh, particularly amateur players, fall into. What would you advise a player uh, or a student that you're working with that gets caught in that trap? What would you say to them to, to sort of get them to focus on what they really need to look at? I think the word you use, focus. See, what you just described was a shift of focus, okay? Mm-hmm. And you see some players that get off to a really good start because their focus is on their game. They're playing the game, Okay. At some point, if they're not careful, if they got a good round going, their focus is going to shift to the number, which is a distraction. Okay? So you have to choose here to find out whether you don't want that to be a distraction. You want it to be helpful. Because you you hear some players are, are scoreboard watchers. Some are not. Right. So neither one of those are a distraction. They're just simply needing information. One player has a desire for information. The other player sees that as a distraction. So the player that knows it's a distraction doesn't pay attention to it. They focus entirely on their golf game, their swing, what's the key things they've been working on, you know, that the, their caddies are going to say, hey, you got this, Main, you know, stay focused on, on, 
on playing the game. And, and you know, there's all kind of cliches, you know, one shot at a time, you know, one bad shot don't mm-hmm. mean anything for the next one, all kind of things you could say. But what I've always done, with, particularly with, with better players that, that are tournament-level players, okay, is that you have to stay focused on what you're doing, okay? Focus on, right. you know, what kind of – is this a hole that suits your eye? If it's not – Play something downrange and try to get it on the green and two-putt and go on to the next chance. That's your Nicholas story. Okay? That's what mm-hmm. he did. Doesn't fit my game. All I need to do is get it down the fairway, get it on the green, two-putt, and go on to one it might. And that's what I want that's the right. tournament focusing on. The top junior players and amateur players, if you really got it boiled down to it and sit down and talk to them, when they really feel like they're in the zone, per se, that they're focused entirely on what they're doing. You know, and every player's had different approaches to it. I don't know, you may remember Bruce Crampton, the Australian. Yes. He never spoke right. to anybody. I mean, he was down the middle of fairway. <laughs> he eliminated distractions. On the opposite side of that, you had the Trevinos of the world. Right. That used right. the crowd to, to help him focus when he needed to. So you have to find your own way to that. But the main thing I would tell a player, I said, look, you have to decide who you are. Because I can't tell you not to watch the scoreboard if you really need that information to relax yourself, know where you're at. But if you don't need it, then don't look. You just have to decide who you yeah. are. Yeah. And so – yeah, you have to play, and, and, and Cindy, uh, as I mentioned, Cindy Miller, uh, LPGA professional, um, who, you know, I, I respect her game as well and her approach to things, and, and she runs a, a, her own, she calls it her Own Your Game Academy, mm-hmm. and there's, there's so much truth in that. You have to own your game. You, you're not going to, I'm not going to own Clint's game, and Clint's not going to own my game or, or whoever the, 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 the people are, you know. I can only own my game, and I'm responsible for what I do out in the golf course. It's an individual sport. Um, you can certainly play in a group, and you can play team matches and things like that and, and, and make it so, a little bit uh, more competitive in a different way. But essentially, you own your shot by shot, if you will, out in the golf course. Nobody else um, does that. I mean, uh, this is I, another I way of question. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, go it's ahead. another way of saying it that you create your own results. There's nobody stand, nobody's playing defense, right? It's all whatever right. you create, you create yourself. But you know, it's kind of I really like what she calls own your own game. In my mind, that yes. means you got to trust yourself, mm-hmm. trust your game, own it, and play. I mean, it, yeah. that's really good easy or bad, for us to talk about. huh? Good or bad. Yeah, good or bad. I mean, you, you just, yeah, I mean, it's good or bad. You know, um, so we, we play a game up here. It's called it, it's a dogfight. Play a points game. And every day there's always something going on. And the, the real quick story, some days you, you have 35 points and some days you have 20. <laughs> you know? Right. right. Some days you make more birdies. But that's just the game. I mean, that's the thing that I think while we play. Because it's not a cumulative deal. You can start over. Uh, so it's right. kind of and, 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 and that that yeah, and that's what makes golf fun too. Is is every day, every round is a new beginning and a new Absolutely. opportunity, uh, you know, to start again. So let's talk about you know 
sort of that elephant in the room, if you will, uh, and then I want to move on. We want to talk, of course, because you've already put it out there about the third shot. But uh, and, and I know we've talked, uh, had this question many, many times, in fact, recently, but let's really talk about some of the things and, and causes, if you will, in your mind, and, and I'll add in some thoughts as well, why scores are not coming down. I mean, this has been going on for decades. In your opinion, why do you think scores are not coming down? Yeah, I don't need to tell you to sit down, do I? So, there's no, a, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, you, you know, we can we can talk for hours about this, but in, in general, you know, we talk about the, the scores haven't come down for the last 40 years. Why haven't they? Well, we've got the best balls, we've got the best clubs, we've got the best golf courses. Part of it is is that there's always new players, mind you. Okay, beginner scores are always high. You know, our better players stop playing or whatever. So there's always that rotating of new players, which will have some effect on why scores are not coming down. But I think, and I've, I've made this point the other night on the coach's corner, I hope I didn't make all my fellow PGA professionals mad at me, but I think we play a major role in why scores haven't come down. Is yeah. that we... We buy into the fact of what our student comes looking for, not what they need, but what they think they're looking for. Well, and we have preached it. You see it on television, on Golf Channel, wherever you want to see it, about hitting it longer, hitting it straighter, hitting it better. I think as a professional, I wish I could have went back years ago and been maybe as as determined as I am now to point out the fact, okay, you're coming to me and you want me to help you be a better golfer, okay? Then you need to follow my directions, okay? And some of the things that we're going to do, you're not going to think it's going to make any sense. And you're paying good money, spending a lot of your time out here, and when you look at that student, when they you give you that deer in the headlight looks, why we're going to go over and hit 40-yard shots all day, I'm paying you 100 yep. bucks an hour, and all I'm going to do is hit chip shots. That's not what I'm coming to you for. Right. My response to that is, well, yes, it is if you want to be a better player. Now, if you want to be a better hitter, then we'll go spend all the time at the range, but I don't want you coming back telling me your score's not getting any better. Because there's a blue million hitters, but there's only a handful of players. And I think if you look at it, we have maybe failed our profession somewhat in not trying to, to, and not everybody's like this. A lot of guys you have on the show, they're into teaching, but I got a big kick out of it, and I won't mention any names, but you asked the other day, what would be the most important club for you to hit, to be good at? And my right. answer was the putter. The other guys on the show were these short game guys, and they said driver. <laughs> yeah. You know? I'm going, okay. Right. You know, because that's what people come to us looking for. We want to hit that driver further. We want to hit it longer and straighter. And we think, the student thinks if they can just get it closer to the hole, they can score better. And that's not true. And, and one of the other things I sent you today was, was golf by the numbers. And this is yeah. the one thing people don't get. I do third-shot clinics all over this area here. I do them for free. 
because I and it, because I want them to see, and I ask them and tell them the different things, and they will come up to me privately afterwards and say, you know, I never thought about it like that. Mm-hmm. And that's the most important thing a person could tell me right now. I never thought about it like that. Because, you know, if you look at an 18-hole round of golf on a par 72 course, you know how many full swings you'll make in an 18-hole round? 32. Mm-hmm. 32 full swings. That's all. Okay? That's right. And, yeah, you're going to make a full swing on a par 3, you're going to make two full swings on a par 4, and two full swings on a par 5. 32 full swings. And the rest of them are abbreviations. The rest of them are third shots. And generally speaking, you don't hit third shots with a full swing, and neither do I. Right. But we spend a whole heck of a lot of time trying to get better at 32 shots around. And I think that's where we've failed people to let to teach them and to understand that if I'm shooting 86, if I shoot 86, I've hit it 32 times full swings, and I have hit 54 abbreviated swings. Abbreviated swing means a putter or a chip or a pitch. 54 of them. Mm-hmm. So where should I spend my time? Yeah. Well, and, and, and you're exactly right. And, and unfortunately, many people fall into the same trap. And you're exactly right. Even as, as, uh, as teacher professionals – We've even fallen into this trap because oh, I'm the poster child really for it. I'm not saying anything that I haven't done myself. Yeah. Right, and and let's just say let's just sort of preface this in a, in a way because I, I don't want to, you know, I'm like you. I don't want to ruffle any feathers either. But I, right. I, I agree with what what you said a few moments ago. You know, as as golf professionals, it is our obligation and duty, if you will. To, we're, we're in a sense a consultant, if you want to look at it, if you want to be honest about it, we're a consultant. We're there to advise our students their best chance or opportunity to play better and get more enjoyment out of the game. But if we're focusing on something that we know is incorrect or not going to accomplish that goal, then we're really doing, it, doing them and doing the, the industry an injustice. And that's really what has gone on, as you said, for about 40 years now, because that's why the scores, um, you know, haven't come down. And if you look at all of the uh, top 1% of of golfers, and I'm talking about the, on the tour level, they're not spending 75, 85% of their time hitting their driver out on the range. They're working on all of the areas within probably 100, if not less, uh, yards from the green, including the putting. That's where mm-hmm. they're spending the majority of their time in all of their practice sessions. And, Do you know why? You know, somebody on the other side, well, because they know that that's what creates lower scores. Oh, even more important than that, they go from course to course to course, right? They don't play in one course all the time. Sure. They know their full swing travels. Mm-hmm. They spend their time at a tournament site getting used to the speed and the conditions in the scoring area. Putting mm-hmm. to get the feel of the greens, chipping to get the feel of the greens. Their full swing travels every week. It it don't change a lot. But That's the right. scoring the areas of yeah. these golf courses change every week. Right. And, and and really the only yeah, the only thing that changes uh, on a on a 
um, a full shot is obviously wind conditions can affect that. Oh, sure. But other than that, once the ball's in the once the ball's in the air, if it's a if it's a well struck shot, whatever the distance is that they're hit, whatever club they're using, the distance it normally goes, it's going to go in the direction they're aiming. So you're right. It, it, there's no nothing to affect the ball other than wind can affect it. But these guys are That's good enough decision, to make though. adjustments that they can. Right. I- exactly. Um, yeah, wind, but, wind and, and uphill, downhill is a, is a single-shot decision. It has nothing to do with their normal golf swing. They're having to decide what to do. So, But it's, it's one yeah, of those things where people, I think, if you look at it, are spending way too much time. See, I, I guess you have to look at it this way. If I'm hitting eight fairways around, how much time am I going to spend to hit ten per round? How much time am I going to spend to hit maybe one or two more greens in regulation? Or do I want to spend a lot of more of my time trying to get it feel for getting the ball up and in from all of those greens I missed? Right. You see, I think you get more results out of getting the ball up and down because you're going to, you know, the average player out there is probably hitting maybe two greens around, maybe three. So they're they're getting anywhere from 10 to – or 14 or so to 15 opportunities every round to either pitch or chip the ball onto the green to try to get it up and in in one, you know, in uh, two shots. You know, one of the, the, the phrases I use all the time in my clinics is attributed to Bobby Jones, and, you know, his comment was is that golf was all about turning three shots into two. Mm-hmm. So where can you spend your time? to be able to say you can turn three shots into two. And I think that's within 50 yards of the crane. Yeah. yeah. That's where and, you get and, 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 you know, I, I think what, what happens, too, with a lot, of, um, a lot of amateurs, especially if you've gone to tournaments. I've been to, as I'm sure you have, a number of uh, professional tournaments. And, you know, you watch these guys – on the driving range and it's like euphoria. I mean, these guys are just belting oh, yeah. it a mile. It's straight They're, You know, they're mm-hmm. curving it left and right. And, and it, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and they're doing it with, with very, you know, very little effort. Right. So I think what happens is the average golfer sees that and figures, well, if I could hit the ball like that, then I could be shooting lower scores or well, if you could. I could do this, Right, and you can to a certain degree, but it, but it's limited because you're right. How much right. time I mean, you want you to can, spend? Look at, right, you can be the best ball striker in the world, but if you can't chip and putt, yeah, you're not really going to save a whole lot of strokes, and that and that's really the point that you're trying to make. And and right. and I think there there has to be a balance. I think, you know, I, I think we need to spend time. If if somebody is not hitting the ball and making good solid contact. Uh, on right. some sort of a regular basis, then right. you certainly do have to, to to work on that. You have to, at the very least, at worst case scenario, you have to spend at least as much time, if not more, working on the areas that are going to improve your score. Because right. working on the practice tee, hitting your driver, or hitting long irons or hybrids or whatever your longer clubs that, that you have in your bag uh, is mm-hmm. going to help, but it's very minimal. And well, this is, as you pointed out earlier, yeah. This is what has caused a lot of the frustration for many golfers. And and to be honest, if we're going to be really honest here tonight, 
This is what's caused a lot of people to drop out of the game is because their level of frustration has gotten to a point, especially with um, some of the older – we talked about this the other night in Coach's Corner uh, based on the points that you brought up, why right. a lot of the, the older generation that was playing golf for years has given up because they can't hit it any farther – and you raised a really interesting point. You're not looking to hit it for your own game farther. Uh, you're looking, uh, and I want you to repeat what you said the other night as best you can. You remember? Oh, that? as far as hitting it further? No. Ted? You said that you're not trying to your, – your goal is not to try and hit it further uh, with the equipment that you're using. It's, you, you used another phrase. Do you remember what you said? No. <laughs> I don't. It was <laughs> – <laughs> I just told you we're getting old. You basically said was to maintain. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I understand. Just to be able to 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 uh, hit the ball the same distance I used to. Yeah, I, I'm with you now, without a doubt. And here's the one thing I think that that we need to make clear here is a, a good many of the things that I talk about have a level of assumption that the players getting the ball in the air. That you have to reach a certain level of ball striking. And one of the reasons we play the game is to feel that good, solid shot off the eight iron or a driver. You know, that that's a great feeling. And we don't want to, to portray this as being something we want to ignore hitting it better. We have to hit it to no. a certain level. You've got you to gotta be able to get it down range. And every PGA golf instructor is going to be able to help you improve that. Here's the question that I always ask people that I teach with and have conversations with. At what point do you as a teacher take responsibility to tell your student that that ball striking is acceptable? It's okay. Mm -hmm. When do we then convince them and how do we do it that says, look, this is okay, let's go do something else. We don't need to spend so much time here right now. Okay, that's where you, you get players of our level, and as we get older, too, is that as long as I bring back point, as long as I can maintain getting it down there, okay, I still got to be able to sc- I can still score. You know, instead of right. hitting the par fives maybe in two, now I'm a little short, so I got to chip better. So where do I need to spend my time to maintain that scoring ability, well, I need to spend a little bit more time chipping and putting, too, because I'm not hitting quite as many greens as I used to. So we we don't want to portray this as being something, just ignore the way you hit it, roll it on the ground every time, you're going to be fine. That's not the case. We we still have to be able to advance the ball with reasonable deal. And the, the challenge I put out to both the player and the instructor is when do we come to the level of acceptance that it's okay right now? may not be okay next week. We can still work to improve it. But where do that now? Let's, let's take our money resources, our time resources, and our effort, and where are we going to put that now in order to really be able to improve our scoring ability? And I think that comes down between a, a very serious conversation uh, between the student and the instructor uh, to say, okay, I'm pretty comfortable here. Let's go. Let's go do something else. Well, um, and it goes. But, it goes back to it. it goes. Yeah, it goes back, Clint, to really something that you said in the very beginning was was sort of the why. You know, why they're there in the first place. You know, right. um, you know, if, if they're if they're just out there to 
you know, impress their, their friends on, on the, on the golf course by hitting, you know, some, some great shots, um, then that's fine. But if they're looking to, um, you know, get some satisfaction from shooting lower scores and improving themselves, then they've got to be realistic. And, and I think that that's a question that we need to ask our students first and foremost is why. And, and then, you know, what, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you want? What do you expect? What are you trying to get out of um, it? Exactly. And yeah. if they're not interested, like let's say, you know, I don't care whether I break a hundred, I just want to hit a, you know, a beautiful looking drive and I just want to be able to hit it further than my buddies. If that's all they want, um, right. then that's fine. But if they're well, coming see, to I think that saying, player well, assumes, though, you know, for the first thing I would do with a student like that is I would take the putter out of their bag. Say, you don't need this one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you're right. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah, we, you know, we saw the long drives last week. Whatever, you know, that that's fun to watch, and they blasted out there, you know. But I think that no matter if you think, well, all I want to just hit big long drives, and. Yeah, at the end of the day, I guarantee you, every one of them keeps score. Sure. They write it down. Now, sometimes it may not be accurate, but they write something down. And they're using that as a benchmark. Because everybody's out, you know, not everybody, I should say, but always, you know, you got a little bragging rights on, on what you shoot, you know. Everybody, you know, who's going to buy the drinks at the end of the day or something. So they're keeping score. And I think it matters even when the player says, well, it really doesn't matter. But I think it does. Because, you see, sure it does. if you look at the rule book, rule number two and three, right up, right out of the box, tells us who wins based on the score. Yeah. You know? Yeah, um, exactly. And rule one tells us that we hit a ball in succession of strokes in accordance with the rules until it's holed. So the objective of the game is – to put the ball in the hole. Rule two and three tells us how to add it up and see who the winner is. So in the first three rules, right. we got the whole thing. So I, I truly – and, you know, usually when I do that, it's probably with somebody that I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with. I don't do that with everybody. We'll walk over, take the putter out, and say, well, you won't need this one. And they realize what I just said. Yes, I will. I'm going to putt. Well, then you're worried about your score <laughs> then because you're trying to finish. And at the end of that hole, you're going to write something down. I mean, that's just the nature of what we do. So it it may be something that's not real high on their list, but they're all going to keep score. So getting a better score is integral part of our game because the, the, the writers of the rules put them in the first three rules in the book. So they're bound to be pretty important to the way you know, they were seeing The other thing, too, is – yeah, the other thing, Clint, is is, is this – you know, you know, on the, on the panel discussions that we have uh, at the beginning of, of each of the shows Thursday night, except for tonight, unfortunately, but, um, yeah, it's okay. you know, what, one of the, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I try to do with, with the panel discussions is to move the conversation in a direction that is going to give the listeners more substance, you know, Earlier on, right. of course, you know, everybody, how do you fix this and how do you do that? But that gets old real quick. And, right. you know, you don't want to tell the listeners, you know, each and every week how to fix their slice or yeah. how to, you know, how, how to hit this shot or how to do that shot. So there has to be more a more substantive conversation on the program. And that's why I try to do that. That's, 
you know, so if you're tuning in, by the way, if you're listening to the show and you're, and you're hoping to, to get some tips on how to fix this or how to fix that, we can certainly do that. But there, there's bigger things and bigger objectives here on the program, and that is really to get people, as, as what you're trying to do here tonight, is to get people to think and, and use what's between that six inches in, you know, in their head yeah, call I, their brain I, I, in order to – do you know what I'm saying? No, I think I think I agree with you 100. percent I wrote a piece not too long ago, but can you think your way to a better score? And yes, you can, but it has to be the right type of thinking. Okay, it is that I think that the the better word. I think I'm going to go back and change this. I think what you're talking about and what I actually say too is it's really how are you going to manage your resources? Resources being your equipment, the course itself your time, your money, your effort, those resources, how are you going to manage those resources to get, you know, the old thing about get more for bang for your buck? You know, I've pointed it out a thousand times that nobody charges to use the putting green. It's free. Right. I've never seen a golf course that charged for the use of the putting green. But they always charge for range balls. Whether it's part of the membership fee or a range fee or by the bucket, they always that's there there's money involved here. So to me, I'm spending money to work on 32 shots around if I'm a top player or am, or am I going to spend my time with no cost working on 54 of them? That's the thing that we're trying you know to get what across. I, Go ahead. Right. And and the other thing yeah, the, what I was going to add to that is you know what I try to do with a lot of you know, students that I work with, I mean, I do more corporate stuff, but what I try to get them to do is I actually don't start them out on the range. I mean, I'll let them go to the range, but I'll do that towards the end of a session because what ultimately ends up happening is by the time they beat a a half a bucket of balls or so, um, they're tired. They're exhausted. And they don't have energy. Yeah, exactly. So by the time I I get them into the short game area, you know, whether it be the putting green or, or something else, their posture is, is, deplorable because they can't maintain it any longer they've been standing there hitting you know 50 or whatever yeah. it is golf balls on the range warming up right. that they they no longer have, have a posture so i get them while they're fresh and work on some of these areas that we're talking about here tonight and then you know then we'll go if they need some help in 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 their long game if they want to hit some better ball, you know uh, ball st- striking and that sort of thing then we'll work on that because they they haven't sort of tuckered themselves out in the in the in the short game area the same as they would in the driving range. And yeah, I know. This is, yeah, you know, I hear you. You know, yeah, you, I, you I, know I chuckle. Yeah, I always start a golf lesson on the putting green. That's where I start. Okay? And it's always leaving the incentive. You know, now, if you'll do good right here for 15 minutes, we'll go hit some balls. Like, <laughs> like the it's kind of the candy <laughs> stick out there. You know, okay, we're going to go to the range, but we got to do this here first. Always leave what they want to do. For last, but you right. show them what they need to do. Right. You know, so it is kind of fun. But but you talk about substance and stuff. Um, you know, there there's a couple other things we we want to talk about. I think there's some some pretty interesting things there that we can throw out that'll help people really lower their score. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's and, um, let me ask let me ask you this. I I've got to ask you this because this kind of intrigued me. Um, okay. You sent me one of the one of the one of the <laughs> yeah, points that you sent me that you wanted to talk about tonight was uh, Goldilocks 
was a great decision maker. Um, right. I, I got to ask. The great decision maker. And see, that's what we need to start teaching people how to do. Beyond their practice thing, how do we make good decisions? And let me, let me explain a few things to you about decision making. Okay? One, you have to define the problem. You gather data about your problem. You generate a solution. And then you take action. We do that on every golf shot we hit. Good players do. They define their problem. How far am I from the green? Is the wind blowing? They gather data. Hey, you know, again, is the wind blowing? What direction is it coming in? Is the green's hard? They've got data. They generate a solution. Okay, Mr. Caddy, give me an eight iron. That's the shot I'm going to play. And then they hit the ball. They take action. So I use the story of Goldilocks, particularly in my putting portion, is that Goldilocks was a great decision maker. She had a problem. She was hungry. Okay? She went into the house and she gathered some data about three bowls of porridge. Right. Okay? She then made a decision. She saw, she came to a solution that she was going to eat one of them. She took action and she ate it. But here's the thing about Goldilocks is that her data was historical. I guarantee you she had eaten porridge before, so she knew what she liked. She trusted that she knew what she liked, just like a golfer needs to trust that eight iron is the right one. And what did Goldilocks do before she made a choice? She tried all three bowls. She gathered data about everything that was possible for her, and she made a choice on what was the best of what she had available. Now, there may be times in golf that you end up not really liking what you're about to try to do, but it's just the best you got available to you at the time, like punching it out sideways to be able to hit your third shot on the green. Made me know what you wanted to do, but that was the best thing you could do right then. And if she took action, she ate the bowl of porridge. Okay? Now, so what I do is I work that into our putting. I find that most people, you know, you do this too, and I think most good players do, but you know how far you hit an 8-iron. I hit an 8-iron about 140, yep. 145. And when I get on the golf course and I get a shot around 140, 145 on flat ground, I know I'm going to hit my 8-iron. I just make my normal swing and I hit it. Okay? But in putting, mm -hmm. and this is part of the other thing I said, how to benchmark your putter, is that right. we really don't know because they're all different, uphill, downhill, whatever. So what I get my students to do is use the Goldilocks method of making a choice. Is that if you look at the three bowls of porridge on the table, she had one that was too hot, one that was too cold, and one that she said was just right. So what I try to get my students to do is to make a rehearsal stroke that they know would be too hard. Right. They make their second rehearsal stroke, one that they know that wouldn't get it there. And what are we going to do now? We have a high and a low. We have a hot and a cold. And I want to find the one in the middle. Because that's the best I can come up with at the time. Because, see, in Goldilocks' story, that third bowl of porridge wasn't just right. You know what it was? It was simply the best of the three. Because there was right. no other options. Okay? So what I get my players to do in putting, one is too hard, one is too soft, 
And then that gives me the top and bottom of my range of motion here now. I've got something to compare it against. Because, see, if Goldilocks would have only tried one bowl, she'd have never been able to figure out if it was the best one or not because she had no reference to the other options. So in putting, yep. speed is obviously in my mind is very is critical. So I want my players to feel how hard they're going to hit it to where they can determine what the ball is going to do at that speed. Okay, so I use the Goldilocks store, and everybody gets a big kick out of it, that too hot, <laughs> one is too cold, get the one in the middle. That's the best you can come up with at time based on your data and experience, so you just got to go with it. It may not be perfect. It's just simply the best you could figure out right then. And then we come back to this idea of confidence or trust. Now, I've tr mm -hmm. I can trust that. But if I don't have something to work off of top and bottom, then all I'm doing when I draw that putter back to hit it is I'm guessing. So I can't trust that much at all. So I'm probably not going to hit a very yeah. good putt. Yeah, and, right? and that's what a lot of the – you know, I, I, you're right. That's what a lot of um, amateur golfers do. You know, even when they go um, and practice, um, it, you know, if you watch the better players on a, on a putting green – when they're practicing mm -hmm. before a round, right. know, they might hit a few short putts, but what they're doing is they're looking, they're testing the speed of the greens. And yeah. if you look at most amateur putters, they'll go in there and they'll hit, you know, they'll get about three feet from the hole and, you know, they'll sink two or three in and they might move back a little bit, but they're more target oriented. They're looking at the target and they're not really testing the speed of the green. So then when they get out there, you know, and maybe they've got um, instead of a, a five or or even a right. six foot putt, now they've got a ten or a twelve foot putt. They haven't a clue on how much speed is going to be needed in order to to you know execute that that stroke properly. So they're they're all over the place. Sometimes it's it's way long. Sometimes it, usually it's way short uh, because mm -hmm. they haven't really tested the speed of the green. They're more right. concerned about the target, or they're looking for the break, or or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And, and those things are certainly important. But you're yes. right. Speed is probably the number one thing that they need to be well, uh, focusing on, and that's you know, right? and that's what we want. Certainly. Uh, Here's the thing: you can you can you can develop the idea of speed in a number of different ways. But I'll give you I'll give you the the, the two. And what Ted you just described is what I want to talk about just a second here about benchmarking your putter. Okay. Mm -hmm. Speed. If you got a 15 foot putt, what's the most important thing for you to do to make a 15 foot putt? Any idea? To, um, no. you got to hit it 15 feet. <laughs> okay? You're right. That's simple. you got to yeah. hit the damn thing 15 right. feet. So that's speed. How hard have I got to hit it to make it go 15 feet? Then, based on that, I can maybe say, well, it's a little on the slopes. It's going to break a little bit. Or maybe it's on flat. It's going to go straight. But i got to hit it 15 feet to start with, so in my opinion, if I don't have the speed right, I'm not going to make that putt. Right. It's either going to go way too far or it won't get there. So i got to hit it 15 feet. Then that puts me in somewhat of control of the break. Again, let's go back to our Goldilocks idea. You know that stroke that was too hard? That's the one that would mm -hmm. make it go straight at the hole. The one that was too easy? would be the one that would barely get it there. So the one in the middle will give me the straightest putt I can play. 
because sometimes the one that would make it go straight won't fall in. Because you know, you know what makes the ball go downhill, right? Mm-hmm. Gravity. What makes the ball fall in the hole? Gravity. So if it's flying over the top of that hole, it's not going to pull it into the hole, so it's just going to keep on going. So there is that right. point to where you can get the straightest putt you can hit that may have a little break, but it's going to be the straightest putt you can play. The best players in the world play the straightest putt they can play. You know, one of the reasons I think that you see, and I don't know this to be fact, but I'm making some assumptions, is that, you know, when the, the pin placements on the PGA Tour are set, you don't see any these big real bender-type short putts, do you? You, you, no. you kind of see, on occasion you'll get one, but most of them are relatively calm around the hole. So these guys, are they have their three-foot putt. This is part of benchmarking your putter. I would encourage people to go out on the putting green and just try it, see if it works. And I want them to try different three-foot putts around on the putting green and see how many of them they can hit exactly the same way. Take the putter back however far they have to, everyone on the same way. And see how many of those three-foot putts they will make, hitting them the same way. And I'll bet you that their ratio will be really high if they just decide how they're going to hit three-foot putts today. And you watch it. You've seen it. it. You see these guys hitting those three- and four-footers. That ball's not barely getting to the hole. It's diving in the right. hole. And why are they doing that? They're using speed to make it go straight. So they have rehearsed that putt time after time after time. They have stood up on that putting green, and they have rehearsed how they were going to play 90% of the three-foot putts they're going to have today. And you know what that does to your trust level? It goes through the roof. Because now I've done this 100 times a day. I'm going to do it right here, too. Because right. they're hitting them the and, same and way. That, Certainty there. Right. And not that, right. And that's what I was talking about earlier on, about the confidence. Is when you, you can trust your stroke or you can trust um, right. what your whatever your ability is, then that obviously elevates your confidence as well so that you, you can Certainly. go out there because you know you can trust whatever the shot happens to be, whether it's on the putting green or, or somewhere else. Um, well, no, you're, you're exactly right. Here's the Go example ahead. I use in my clinics. If you, Ted, if you and I were going to do a play, how many times would we rehearse that play before we put it onto an audience? I would suggest many times because we <laughs> needed to kind of work our way through this play. And right. then – how nervous her, our trust level to put it on after that would be pretty high. But now put yourself in the same scenario. I come and say, Ted, we're going to put a play on tonight for a thousand people, and you're going to panic. Sure. Because, well, what are we going to do? Well, we're just going to wing it. Well, no, I can't do that. That's the way most people putt. They wing yeah. it, and then they panic. They don't know what to do. We've all done it. I've all been there. I've been in stretches like I'm a little bit right now, not putting too good. You know, I'm, you know, you're feeling nervous about it. You're not quite sure. But the more I rehearse that same stroke, the more I become sure and the more I can trust my ability to do it right now. Now, carry on the benchmarking idea. Most three putts don't come out of a missed two-footer or a missed three-footer. 
that come out of a misplayed lag putt. They don't get right. it close enough. They put too much pressure on the second putt because they're six feet now instead of two feet. Okay? Again, here, speed mm -hmm. is critical because I'm pretty sure if you laid down a putter or four-feet-long stick behind the hole, most every person that you can get to putt that ball is going to hit that stick. Down a, they, everybody's going to be able to roll it down a bowling alley, right? So the question right. is, is how far down that bowling alley am I going to roll it to, to lag it up there close enough I can make my next putt? Well, what I encourage my students to do is to find the flattest spot on the green, wherever they're playing, practice green, obviously, and their benchmark lag putt is a toe, right toe or left toe, whatever their back foot is, whether right-handed or left-handed. If I take the putter back to my back foot and let it go through, how far is the ball going to roll? How far does it go? Step it off. Because, see, we all have mm -hmm. two $300 range finders in our bag, but I guarantee you that most of your students and mine, too, never step off a lag putt. They don't have a clue how far away they are. No. Nor do they really know how hard they need to hit it. So, But if I have some information and data, that today I went out on the putting green, and when I took my benchmark stroke back, which is to my right foot, and made my stroke through, it rolled 25 feet today. Now, I've got a 30-foot putt, so what do I need to do? Well, I need to make some decisions here. Am I uphill, downhill? What is it? I still have to make some abbreviations, but I now have a benchmark that says on flat ground it goes 25 feet. That's no different than right. knowing how far my pitching wedge goes, how far my 7-iron goes, mm -hmm. or how far my 9-iron goes. Those are benchmark distances that we all use to make decisions off of the circumstances that I'm facing. Into the wind, downwind, uphill, downhill. Am I in the rough? Tight lie. Those are situations I have to deal with, but I'm going to use my historical benchmark data to determine what the best choices I can do. We do that everywhere but on the putting green. And if you can convince your students to benchmark a putting stroke for lag putting and get some data that they can use to help determine how far they have to hit it on that particular putt, I think you'll see their, their lag putting improve tremendously uh, if they will do that. And you don't have to take a lot of time to step off a putt if it's more than 20 feet. I don't step off really much inside of that because, you know, you kind of got an idea maybe for some feel. But anything outside of 20 feet, I'm going to step it off when I'm walking up to the green. i got to walk over yeah. that way anyway. So I might as well get some idea how far away I am. Because I'll bet you out on the tour, those, those caddies know how far away they are. They know the length of that well, sure, and that's so well. They know. Yeah, you know, a, gr a great example, just to, to go back to something you said a second ago, you know, one of the – I saw a video several years ago, and I, I'm sure a lot of the listeners that uh, are around our age group probably have seen it as well, but um, some of the younger ones may not. But Tom Kite uh, did an instructional video years ago with um, a bunch of other uh, PJ players. But his segment talked about, you know, of course, the wedges, which uh, he was famous for. And he talked about that very same thing, about benchmarking his wedges. I mean, he knew did a three-quarter or a half swing right he knew exactly the distance with with all four of his wedges because he always uh carried four wedges in the bag 
And mm-hmm. that was the reason, again, he was benchmarking those particular clubs so that when he got into a situation that he knew he was 35 yards, he wasn't trying to manufacture a shot. He knew that he could take whatever club that he used for that particular distance, or maybe it was 75 yards or it was 85 yards. He knew That's between right. his four wedges, he, he would assess the situation. He knew with his four wedges what was going to give him that 85 or 35 or whatever the distance was shot. Right. And he knew exactly how far to take it back and how far to put it through. And right, well, let, Let's take this one step further. With what did that do for him? Sure. Well, he'd rehearsed that shot many times. He knew it would work. His trust level went through the roof again. He knew it was going to work because he had hit it so many times. That's the same thing I'm talking about, that we need to extend that into our lag putting. Some people that I've yep. worked with have two benchmark strokes, one to their toe and one to maybe three inches past, figure out how far, you know, for longer putts. Um, sure. There's no question. All of this makes perfectly good sense. And here we rotate all the way back around to this resource idea. Are you going to spend your time benchmarking your wedges and putters, or are you going to start trying to hit one more fairway around? Again, it comes back down to where are you going to utilize your time, effort, and money to improve your score. And I think that over the years, whoever has been involved, the industry, whatever, we have really missed that with a lot of our players. Not all. And not all instructors are are, are, – there's many out there doing what I'm doing – you know, I'm not doing anything special. It's just a matter that that we've kind of sure. around this this thinking process of hit it down range, hit it down range, and score. You know that that's important. And so I don't I don't think that that's something that is it's not new. Every tour player in the world knows it. Every good player in the world knows it. We just haven't been telling it to the beginners. And one of the things that I have struggled with with the third shot idea is when to introduce it. What level of player? And it finally dawned on me. I mean, I had a lady in this last um, last clinic that I did that she had never played golf before. And we got done, and she cleared it all up for me. She said, you know, this is the best way to learn how to play. Learn this first. That's exactly. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, well, there you go. <laughs> you know? So it's for the beginners, it's even more important to explain them. Look, it's important to hit good shots, but if you really want to score, here's what you need to accomplish first. And then you'll learn how to hit it. You know? Um, so it, it's it's really a, been a lot of fun uh, dealing with some of it, but... And the the biggest fun, and I hope that the people are listening tonight going, well, you never thought about it that way. That's the whole purpose of what I'm preaching and what a lot of people are out there today is getting their students and players to think about it differently. I never thought about it that way. I think that makes sense, you know. And hopefully we can we can well, move it forward and we'll see some incremental changes in, in our at least in our student scores. We we can't help people that we, you know. I know you've heard the heard the story about the young man walking down the beach throwing the sand dollars back in the water. And the, and the old gentleman no. there said, "Well, son, you're not going to be able to do any good with any of that stuff." And he threw one back in. He said, "Well, I made a difference with that one." You know. <laughs> So we need to make a difference with as many of our players as we can and try to convince them that, hey, 
yeah, hitting it good is fine, but let's accept the fact that that's good enough, and let's go over here and really try to lower your score. And whether you've got an instructor doing that or whether you're just listening to our conversation going, well, yeah, I never thought about it that way, and you go out and try it on your own, that's really important. Okay? Yeah. I, I, yeah, you know, let me just add, add this, Clint, uh, to what you're saying. And I've said this all along as well. You know, I would rather some of our higher handicap players out there that have been struggling with their game and they're thinking about going out and, and spending, you know, three, $400 on a shiny new driver. I would rather them come to, you know, a professional and spend that time wisely learning how to become a better player. You have to, there's, two, there's really two questions or, or two answers really to the same question. Do you want to be a better hitter or do you want to be a better player? And if you want to be a better hitter, um, then you're not going to be become a better player because you will to a certain degree. Obviously, you'll hit the ball a little bit better, but you're not going to shoot necessarily lower scores. And I think that too many people go to the store uh, or to the pro shop and they see all this, you know, new technology. And this is one of the reasons, you know, you go down to the, the uh, merchandising show in Orlando and, uh, you know, it's just all kinds of gadgets and gadgetry, if you will, but it's all the same thing. It's how to hit it, how to, you know, get more distance, how to do this, how to do that. But it's I, not really anything that I see down there, how to shoot lower scores. Oh, there's and all kind of tra- it's tools and, and and videos to watch, but they're, they're yeah, that, that's about it. But, you know, the thing that, that I basically, I guess, when it all boils down to it, is I want to try to help people become better players because I think if you're a better player and you're a better scorer, you can shoot better scores, the majority of us will have more fun, like you said, and will play and continue to play. What I try to convince my people to do is I want them to be efficient hitters. You just need to be able to hit it efficiently. Move the ball into the scoring area in the least number of strokes you can. And at that point you want to be able to turn three shots into two. And no matter how many times you hit it to get it into that range, you'll shoot a lower score than you shot last week. You know, I, I've asked this question many times. How do you shoot 108? Well, it's all sixes. Shoot all Right. Okay. If you want to shoot 90, it's all five. So what shot do you have to hit the best shot to go from 108 to 90? Well, you got to get your third shot third on the green. Then yep. you two-putt, you shoot 90. So a guy that shot 108, we could argue the point, is not a very good player. But if he could go from 108 to 90, how much more fun do you think they're going to have? And we wouldn't even call a 90 player that good. This, is not, this whole story we're talking about here is not trying to make a guy shoot 90 where he can shoot 68. This is about taking a person that can't break 100 and showing them how to shoot 90. Because they're going to, you know, yeah. they're going, that's where the big improvement's at. You know, it's hard to take a player shooting 72 and teach them how to shoot 68. But it's not that hard to right. take a guy shooting 108 and teach them how to shoot 90. And whether all of us in this profession believe it or not, if it wasn't for the 108 shooter and the 90 shooter, we'd be starving to death. 
That's exactly okay. yeah. You're exactly right, Clint. So you know, we want. This is one of the things. Yeah, go ahead. Go sorry. ahead. No, I mean that's, I that's say, what this is whole really... crux is about. I think I don't want people to misunderstand what I'm saying. Is that you just need to be able to get it up there to to shoot the best score you can based on how you're hitting it. And that best score may be 90, it might be 108, but but if you'll follow some of the things we've talked about here tonight, I'll guarantee you that if you'll do those things and spend the time and the effort to, to get good at that third shot, your score is going to come down. Whether it's 108 to 90 or 90 to 85, it will get better, without a doubt. Yeah, and, and you know, Clint, what I was just going to add here uh, before we wrap up was just that, you know, a lot of – I think a lot of the frustration with especially some of the older golfers out there that have been playing for, you know, maybe 30, 40 years that don't hit it as far anymore. And because they focus so much on trying to be better hitters pretty much all their life, they don't realize that if they would focus more on what we've talked about here tonight, they would be able to shoot lower scores again. You know, for instance, you get a player that that maybe at one time early in their career, uh, or in their golf game, was shooting 108. Then they got down to 90 and maybe got down to 80, and some might even got lower than that. But then right. as they got a little bit older, you know, they couldn't hit it as far, and, and um, you know, they didn't practice as much, and they start coming back up the scale again. And next thing you know, they're, they're lucky if they can break 100. And I know people that, you know, used to, to you know, um, were, scratch, were scratch players that can't break right. 100 today. Oh, and it's, it's, you know, I can tell you you're absolutely right. Else. My father was a scratch player as long as I could remember. He got to where he couldn't play, and it took me years to convince him to move up to the senior tees, right. beginning to move up where he could still play the way he used to play. You know, if if you're losing yardage, folks, it's not a bad thing to move up to the next set of tees where you can still hit a driver and an eight iron on the green. That eight iron may be going 100 yards now instead of 150, but you're still playing the same game you used to play, right? You're not you're not hitting driver three wood, five wood just to get it to the green in three shots. You're still playing the game you remembered how you played. You hit that second shot on the green on the par fours. Yeah, like I said, it may be from 100 yards now instead of 150, but guess what? You're playing the same game, and that's. So and, important, and that's, and that's what makes it fun. That's what makes it fun totally. is, you know, and that's what people want. People the game want to go out, right, right. People want to go out and they want to be able to have a good time and enjoy themselves. And if they're focusing on too much uh, on how well they're hitting the ball and not how well they're scoring, then it suddenly it doesn't. You know, anybody. I don't care what level of player. At some point, you're not going to hit it as well as you once did. It's just going to. It just by nature. Um, you know, as we get older, our our body um, is just not uh, equipped to do that. You know, you get a few more aches and pains, and your muscle mass uh, decreases and what have you. But um, you can still hit a decent ball. But you always have the ability to continue to score well if you focus on those areas of the game that we, you know, that you were talking about earlier. Um, and and as you said, move up to the next set of tees. And if that set of tees is still creating a problem for you, then move up another one. Move on uh, Most golf courses have at least, yeah, move on up. You know, uh, and even Nicholas, uh, you know, I remember uh, just even a, a few short years ago, you know, he, he made this statement. He said, you know, playing it forward is the way to go. And he's trying to encourage 
you know, obviously oh, know. his generation because he's he's in the same boat. And you know, put the egos, you know, leave the egos at the door of the clubhouse. That's Get hard. out there, and if you want to play your, yeah, it is, it is. And listen, men are worse than than the women because oh, I, I've for worked sure. with a lot of uh, corporate corporate women, and they're happy to go to the putting green. They're happy to go. Uh, and, and pitch and, and do a little chipping. They don't want to go out on the on the driving range uh, where everybody can watch them, you know, right. uh, hit a hit a poor shot, you know, unless they play. They would rather be. So that's why you you know a lot of times when you see different clinics, that you'll more often see more women around the putting green or in the short uh, game area than you will. And where are the guys? The guys are all out on the driving range trying to, you know, capture old glory, if you will. And 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 folks, let me just say this in, in closing, and then uh, Clint, we've got to wrap it up here. Um, yeah. Let me just say say this. The point of this discussion, as Clint uh, has alluded to uh, a number of times, is not to you know discredit uh, the industry or not to say that the industry is doing everything wrong. There's lots of great professionals out there. Um, you know, we're certainly among them. But I, I think that we have to be honest. If if we can't be honest with ourselves as professionals and say people are not enjoying the game. Um, as they once were. Obviously, new golfers are coming in and they're excited and they've got all kinds of energy. But there's going to come a point in time if we keep making those these same patterns in in the industry, eventually they're going to uh, fall into that trap. So we have to change our way of thinking and say what is going to give people the most amount of uh, enjoyment out in the golf course, and that is to be able to shoot lower scores. And the only way you're going to do that is to work on the short game area. And a lot of people, you know, Clinton, I'm sure you've heard this many times. Well, it's it's not as fun or it's not as exciting as belting that ball, you know, 250 or, or whatever yards out on, on. And that's true. But yeah, you absolutely. can make it interesting if you if you are a little creative. And if the coach you're working with is a little creative as well, you can you can come up with some fun games. And when you're working uh, or playing with uh, uh, with your fellow competitors, um, you know, make some games when you're when you're practicing there. Instead of going beating balls on the range, get on the putting green and have a few. You know, uh, if you've got the time, uh, a few little uh, matches, if you will, on the putting green before you go out and you play your round and make it interesting, so that it encourages you to, to get out there and do that. And that's really what we're trying to say tonight. Uh, and and that's why I wanted to have you back on. Um, you know, Clint, because I, I I do, you know, I value your your contribution to the program because I know exactly the direction that you're trying to to take things. And you're exactly right. I think that the industry for too long has has sort of had this tunnel vision of let's make everybody a better hitter uh, and not necessarily a better scorer and a better player. Um, and that's sort of been reserved for the elite players. And I think that the amateurs want to be better players as well. And the only way to do that is to work on your short game. Uh, Clint, any closing thoughts that you want to uh, add in there? Um, no, Ted, that was, that, was, that was a great summation right there for sure because – I think the whole crux of, of what we're talking about is that no matter what your beginning score is, it can get better if you use these techniques. You know, if you're shooting 108, you shoot 90 if you if you can chip and putt and pitch the ball. And I guard against this being about the short game. This is about your total game. This is about how you're going to use your skill level to play the best round of golf you can. This is about how you're going to use your time and your resources and your money to work on the areas that will improve your score. 
Okay, so it's not totally just about the short game. It's really about the short game. It's got to be the scoring area where I focus the most. I'm not trying to say that, but it's really about the total right. game of how you're going to become a player. And we play this game from the tee box to the hole. So it's not like we only play from 50 yards in. So we want to take a look mm-hmm. at your entire game that you're going to take to the course today and make sure that you're spending your time and resources where you need to. And that's where I made a point a minute ago, and I'll finish up here. Come to a decision amongst you or your instructor. Take a look at your swing and ask this question to your instructor. Is that acceptable right now? If it is, if you're making good fundamental moves, then move on to the next area of getting that score down and then gradually try to improve that that hitting. But you have to ask that question, is this ball striking acceptable? And then move on to learn how to be a player. It's a learned process. It's not natural. And, Ted, I I appreciate you having me on because I I really enjoy doing these. And uh, hopefully a lot of the folks up here in, in South Carolina and North Carolina was listening tonight. I hope they were. I appreciate it, Clint. As always, uh, as I said, I enjoy having you on the program. I, I you know, I, I always feel uh, when I have you on, I learn something, uh, and that's, uh, you know, always important. No, and I, I mean that sincerely. You know, I, I agree. The, I understand. I appreciate I do, that. Thank you very much. When I, you know, one of the reasons I do this program, um, believe it or not, is not to hear myself talk. I can, I can do that off air. Um, I do it because I, I want to create an opportunity for others to learn as well, but it also creates an opportunity for me to learn. When you get to a point in your life that you feel that you've, you've learned everything, then you might as well open the casket and jump in because life is over. Um, it's a yeah. continual learning journey, and as we talked about in the beginning, golf uh, and life mimic each other very, uh, very similarly in a lot of ways, and even the best of the best will tell you that they're always learning something new. Um, you know, golf is certainly evolving, and there's a lot of great things out there. And and let me just uh, go back a, a second very quickly, and then and then we'll go. But yeah, I, I don't want people to misunderstand what I said earlier in saying that you know a lot of the technology out there or a lot of the things that we're seeing, uh, you know, being developed in the golf industry are bad. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying it has its proper place, it has a, a proper function, but it's not there to make you a better player. It's a tool that can be used to help in certain areas of your game, perhaps, um, but it's not there. Only you can make yourself a better player. We're just simply providing you with the necessary tools, just like you would if you were working uh, in construction or something. You take your tool belt with you, and you perform your, your, uh, your task. That's essentially what we're doing as instructor. We're providing you with the tools um, to be able to perform the task efficiently on the golf course, but how you apply those uh, fundamentals and how you apply that is really up to you. We can't force you to do it. We're not there on the golf course with you per se, uh, inst- implementing the shots. That's up to you. And, and as you pointed out earlier, Clint, so that's really what we're trying to say. So uh, again, for, for any fellow pros that are turning, tuning in and maybe heard some of the conversation and think that, you know, we were having a bashing session earlier. That's not the case. There is a place and a time for all of that equipment and all of that, uh, you know, the different theories and methodology out there. There's no doubt about that. But the truth of the matter is that I think that a lot of frustration out there is because we're focusing too much on how to hit the ball and not uh, enough on how to score better 
uh, for many of our players out there. And I think that we need to, to really uh, rethink that area and, and re-examine that a little bit. Uh, and, and I think that you'll find that, that uh, more and more people will, will come back uh, to the game. And on that note, Clint, I want to thank you for, as always, for joining me here on Golf Talk Live, uh, whether you're on the panel or, or here just as a, as a special guest. I, I value your opinion and, and uh, your expertise, and I hope that you'll continue to uh, help people uh, uh, improve their game and, uh, and get more fulfillment and enjoyment out of it. Well, I look forward to it, Ted. I, ho- I hope I can. I hope that everything works out again. I look forward to being on the show in the future. And if anybody wants to... Um have a further conversation, they can give me a uh, email at clintgolf001 at yahoo.com, and I'd, I'd love to expand on some of their issues. Thanks again, Ted. Thanks. Perfect. No problem, and I'll see you, I guess, in a couple of weeks. You'll be back on, uh, I think, yep. at the end of the month for Coach's Corner, so he'll be back uh, uh, instilling another pearl of wisdom. But, uh, Clint, thank you. Have a great weekend, my friend. And thank I'll you try to come up with something in a couple of weeks. All right, that sounds good. <laughs> All right, see you, buddy. Thanks. All right. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was my very special guest, Clint Wright, uh, a great professional, been doing this for many, many years. Uh, and and as I said earlier, you know, I, I certainly value uh, his input and uh, his knowledge of the game, and, and he's exactly right. Um, but I want to also thank all of you for tuning in each and every week for faithfully uh, – um, listening to the program with all of my uh, guests and, and uh, panelists that have come on the show. It, it's really through um, their efforts that, that make me a better uh, instructor and, and make me a better person uh, overall. And it's up to you, uh, all of the listeners out there for faithfully tuning in that help make golf talk live uh, a first class show. So I want to thank you sincerely from the bottom of my heart for tuning in each and every week. And the audience continues to grow uh, every week and every month and every year. Uh, and I'm just amazed and impressed on, on just how much it has grown uh, over these last, uh, in the fifth season now. And uh, I, I can just see it continuing to, to grow and grow and grow. So let me just say this uh, in closing, and then I promise I'm out of here uh, for the evening. Uh, if you're somebody in the golf industry that maybe you feel you'd like to have something to share with the audience, um, feel free to reach out to me. My email is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. Uh, I would love to hear from you. I'd be more than happy to uh, work you into the program. Uh, and for those of you that maybe missed uh, tonight's uh, broadcast, there were some great nuggets uh, in there, and uh, I, I strongly urge you to go back. So uh, visit the link, um, www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash golftalklive. Uh, pass that link around for somebody that maybe wasn't able to listen to the program tonight. Share that link uh, through social media. Um, there's a lot of good information that, that Clint uh, and I were talking about tonight that we hope will help you guys out there. Uh, thanks to some of the uh, sponsors and supporters of the program, Mr. Jonathan Laird from South Coast Golf Guide. Uh, go to southcoastgolfguide.com uh, and learn more about a great uh, golf guide here in the southeastern part of the United States, from literally from Texas right over here uh, to the Panhandle in northwest uh, Florida. Uh, go to southcoastgolfguide.com. You can learn about some of the great golf courses that you can play in this area. And if you'd like a copy of the guide and you're not down in this area yet, uh, Jonathan would be more than happy to have one shipped out to you. So just go to southcoastgolfguide.com. Reach out to Jonathan Laird is the uh, uh, owner of, of the guide and uh, the editor and so forth. And uh, he'd be more than happy to, uh, to get that out to you uh, and mail one to you. So if you're planning on a trip to coming in the southeastern part of the United States, 
Um, it's a good little uh, pocket guide to uh, to have uh, handy with some great courses uh, and uh, good information from this area. Uh, also, Meredith Kirk from Meredith Kirk Golf. Thank you, Meredith, for all of your continued uh, support of the program as well. Uh, Meredith Kirk Golf, of course, she's located out in South Carolina in the Myrtle Beach area, so you can uh, reach out to her there. Uh, Nikki and Tiffany Litherland, thank you for helping spread the word of the program over the years. I appreciate your uh, support and uh, your well wishes as well. Uh, Mr. Bernie Pinder from Ontic Golf, a great line of customized putters. Thank you, uh, Bernie. Go to ontickgolf.com uh, if you're looking to, uh, as, as Clint was saying, to uh, benchmark your putts. I can't think of a better place to go than to uh, ontickgolf.com and uh, purchase yourself a brand new putter. I'd rather you spend the money there uh, than on a new driver. So uh, go to ontickgolf.com and Mr. Bernie Pinder will be more than happy to take care of you. Uh, Sean Kelly, uh, owner of linkedgolfers.com, a great social media platform. Uh, Linked Golfers, of course, is uh, the largest golf group on LinkedIn, which is a uh, major social uh, business, social network, uh, social media network. Uh, Linked Golfers is just another platform that he uses to uh, to help spread the word as well. So go to linkedgolfers.com and check it out. And, of course, Mr. Peter Doyle from Doyle Golf Solutions over in Ireland. Thank you, uh, my good friend, for uh, all of your continued support as well. And on that note, uh, again, one last time, let me thank my very special guest uh, tonight, Mr. Clint Wright, for joining me here on Golf Talk Live. And for all of you, I will see you next Thursday at 6 p.m. Central right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody and have a great weekend. I'll see you next week.